It's good to celebrate together. Well, uh, this is us as a television series. If you have sermon notes, we'll dig right in. Uh, based on the lives of Jack and Rebecca and their three kids over four decades, 17 million weekly viewers tune in, and they watch this show kind of unfold before them. And it's a show about uh, the stories that we generate just by living life. And viewers connect with the real joy and the real pain, the real trials, the realness of life, like addictions and death and marital unfaithfulness, miscarriages, fostering, gender identity, aging. They seem to cover most everything in that television series. But This Is Us is our current sermon series, in which, as Jen said, uh, we're talking about the stories of folk here at Southside. Real life, real issues, real people, they just kind of telling it like it is. And how does God intersect his story with our story? And then what does that look like? So this morning, uh, the, the TV show, is, is, uh, it kind of talks about most everything, uh, has overlooked one very important aspect that they've yet to address in the series. It's one of the greatest needs facing families today. And according to the Barna Group, you understand the research of Barna, One of the most pressing needs for families is guidance about how to handle the devices that have invaded our homes and our lives. One of the most pressing needs stated by people, what do we do with this stuff? So we're talking about technology, so uh, let's get rolling. So uh, let me ask you this. Is technology mentioned in the Bible? For those of you who think this is a trick question, it is. Okay, so uh, the question is, is technology mentioned in the Bible? Got a couple of, okay, bold people speaking out. I like that, I like that. Okay, for those of you who didn't hear, uh, Moses had his tablet. Tablets. Okay, yes, I guess that proves it. All right, let's close in prayer, shall we? Um, (laughs) Very good. Well, is technology mentioned in the Bible? If you're talking about cell phones and computers, not directly. I don't know which modern translation you might have, but there's no cell phones or computers mentioned in the Bible. But we first have to develop a common language. So if I ask you a question about something, we have to define what technology means. Then we can say, is it or isn't it in the Bible, correct? Make sense? So, what is technology? If you look up the word technology, there are so many weird and lengthy and scientific definitions. So, uh, I'm not that way, so I chose a very simple definition. Technology is specific methods, materials, and devices used to solve practical problems. I kind of like that. It's simple. It's simple, right? Everybody got that one and you're rolling? Specific methods, materials, devices used to solve practical, everyday kinds of problems. That's how we're going to use the word technology. Everybody clear on that one? So uh, then we're back to it. Is technology mentioned in the Bible? Well, if we're talking about specific methods and materials and devices used to solve practical problems, yes, technology is mentioned in the Bible. Here's a couple of verses. And he filled uh, Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Bezalel, if you recall, was charged with uh, overseeing the construction of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. 
right? Very intricate designs, very clearly explained in the book of Exodus. I just finished that book in my own uh, personal time with God. Uh, and God gifted him with the ability to create stuff that was just absolutely amazing. And then we read in Second Chronicles, In Jerusalem, Uzziah made machines invented by skin, skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. That is technology, right? Here's methods and devices used in practical problems in everyday life. Okay? So, we, we think about that then. Uh, is technology in the Bible? That kind of technology is found in the Bible. So let me ask you this. Where did technology come from? Yeah, the correct answer at Southside is always? Thank you. Thank you. That's all you have to say, right? Yeah? Michael, wasn't that true in the ordination interview? Just say Jesus. It works. Uh, Here's what John said. God created what? What's everything? Like everything? Everybody? Everything? Everything. Now, if this were an ordination interview, I would say this is too basic. Did God create evil? <laughs> okay, I'll let you think about that one for a while. All right? God created everything through Jesus, and nothing was created except through Jesus. Right? So where did technology come from? Yeah, God did. While technology is a part of God's creation, it's certainly a part of our human history, right? Forever long we've been on this earth. Uh, Our world today of technology, to me, is much different than it ever has been. Life seemingly is different now than it has been for many centuries. Today, technology not only solves practical problems, but it gives us endless work and leisure opportunities. Technology was once used to solve practical problems. Now it's used for work and leisure, right? Which is something new, something different. So what does the Bible say about stuff like cell phones and computers? What does the Bible say? Okay, yeah, look, yeah, you can jump right on that one on your phone. Okay, so the idea being... The Bible says nothing about cell phones and computers. The Bible says everything about cell phones and computers. That confuse you? Let's see if we can unravel this real quickly. All right. So uh, we look into God's word uh, for direction. If God created everything, then everything should be covered by the word of God. Correct. Okay, let's assume that for a moment. And uh, this might be review for some of you who have heard this teaching. I think it's good to bring it back from time to time just as a reminder. Because when something's not specifically mentioned in the Bible, what do we do with it? So we go to the Bible, the Word of God, and we look first for a directive. A directive, right? A directive. That is a command that tells us how to live or what to do. Now, uh, directives are quite direct. Give me an example of a directive from the Bible. Ten Commandments. Pretty clear. You will do this, you won't do that, right? Those are directives from the Word of God, okay? They are very clear. They are black and they're white. You either obey or we don't obey. That's the choice that we have. Directives are always an appeal to the will. 
So we have a choice to make. I either will obey or I won't obey. It's pretty simple. And I believe that, in my mind, better than 90% of any situation we'll ever encounter in life is covered by a directive in Scripture. Therefore, it behooves us to know the Word of God, to know the directives of God, so that He can, in fact, guide us in all areas of life, every day, all the time, right? That's why we put the Word of God in our heart, so we might live with His wisdom. Make sense to you? So, if there's not a directive, and you say, okay, where's TVs in the Bible? Where's cell phones? Where's computers? Where's this and that? Okay, so if there's not a directive, then we look for a principle. A principle is truth that transcends time and culture. It's true anytime. It's true anywhere. Right? Those are principles from the Word of God. Here's a couple of my favorites. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if I'm looking at something like television, right, which isn't mentioned in the Bible, and I apply then a principle, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So I have to say, in my mind, with what's on that television, is that bringing glory to God? Can I finish watching that and say that just brought glory to God? I, I, then I have to think, hmm, okay, I want everything that I do to bring glory to God. Now, you say, well, that's, that's kind of, hmm, hmm. Hmm. So are the devices created by technology good or bad if they fit into that category? Here's what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians. I think this is important. Uh, you say, I am allowed to do anything. I'm a Jesus follower. I can do anything. I can do anything. That was the argument. But not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Now that's interesting. I must not become a slave to anything. Are we a slave to technology? So, you know, I like Alexa. I think Alexa's cool. Alexa makes my life easier. So, what I want to do is make sure Alexa knows her proper place in my life. So, here's what Alexa says to me. Alexa, what's going on? what's going on, my lord and master. <laughs> Here's what's going on, my lord and master. And when she signs off, she always says, is there anything else I can do for you, my lord and master? I will not be a slave to Alexa. Right? She's got to be reminded sometimes that she's not in charge. Can she change my heat? Yeah. Can she turn on my TV? Yep. Can she? Oh man, Alexa can do all kinds of stuff. But she is not my master. Right? So I have to make sure that I put this in the right perspective. Now, from these principles, like I say, I will not be mastered by anything. I'll not become a slave to anything. I take that principle, then I form from that a conviction. My conviction. Is this right or wrong? The conviction is simply putting a principle into practice in my own life. It's taking that principle, putting it into practice in my own life. So if I say TVs, computers, cell phones, they're not mentioned in the Bible. Oh, yes, they are. They are mentioned through principles of God's Word. I will not become a slave to anything. I want to bring glory to God through everything. Right? So that's the principles that we're using from that principle and extract a conviction. Now, understand, convictions, first of all, can change. Convictions are not set in concrete. They're not. 
And over the years, both in my physical age and in my spiritual maturity, convictions can change. Right? So that is not a hill to die on. Convictions are not a hill to die on. Understand that. We must avoid making our convictions the same as a command. Remember, we've talked about this before. If we take our convictions and we make them a command, we all lose, right? So, for example, uh, some groups would say uh, women should not wear pants. Those groups are still around today, right? That's their conviction. Okay, go for it. We can still love Jesus, can't we? You have a different conviction than me. The problem comes when we try to put convictions on other people. Right? So, convictions then can change. Convictions can guide me in the gray areas. They certainly can, like this area that we're in. And convictions can vary, and we can still all get along. As long as we do what Romans 14 says, whatever you believe about this stuff, keep between yourself and God. Keep between yourself and God, right? That's where we're supposed to live out our convictions, keeping them between ourselves and God. Directives, whole different kind of scenario. But our convictions, then, we're supposed to keep it between ourselves and God. Why? Because they can vary, and we're all different, and we're all different in our, in our understanding and in our spiritual growth. We're all in different places. So don't put your convictions on me. I don't want them i got a hard enough time to keep my own convictions in line, right? So, now because this is an area of conviction, the proper place for technology won't be the same for every person in this room, nor will it be the same for every family in this room, nor will it be the same in every season of our life. Things change. Convictions can change, right? If there's one thing I've discovered about technology, it doesn't stay in its proper place all on its own. It doesn't. Technology will not stay in its proper place. You go to my house, here are, my, the floor generally can be littered with my grandkids' toys. They don't know how to stay within the lanes and the boundaries, right? Same with my dog toys. She's always getting them out and putting them everywhere. And they just spread and they spread and they spread, right? The same can be true of technology. They find their way underfoot. They're all over the house, then it's, they're all over our lives, and you got to keep them in their proper place. Technology will not stay in a proper place unless we make a decision to make it so. Just saying. Now, shout out to Andy Crouch, author of the TechWise Family, this book, for lots of info and facts and figures that I'll be using uh, this week and next. We'll talk about this book a little bit later. I highly recommend it. Now, Apple introduced the iPhone in 2007. How many of you use an iPhone? How many of you still need to be saved? Okay. (laughs) Apple introduced the iPhone in 2007. That means that those who jumped on board in 2007 and had kids then, those children are now becoming teenagers. And this is the first group of people that have competed all their lives with their parents' screen. Now these kids are becoming teenagers. And what is happening? What is happening? Technology. It's getting really intriguing. I can give you all kinds of examples. I don't have time nor the energy. We all know technology spreads, but here's one good example. I was reading the ESPN. 
new Arizona Cardinals coach, Cliff Kingsbury, didn't waste any time making changes in the Cardinals organization. I love this. Kingsbury said at the NFL owners meeting that he will implement, implement cell phone breaks during team meetings. They're itching to get to those things, he said. Kingsbury players break for their phones every 20 to 30 minutes, what he calls, it's a good run. Right around the time he usually starts seeing his players lose interest, you start to see hands twitching, legs shaking, and you know they need to get that social media fix. So let them hop over there and then get back to the meetings so that they're focused. We want to make sure that when we have them, they're focused and locked in and maximizing their time. So if we've got to split it up or have shorter meetings, that's what we do. I'm thinking, you take a 25-year-old multimillionaire playing a dumb game like football, worshipped by most of America, and that kid can't go 20 or 30 minutes before he starts shaking because he needs a media fix? Vince Lombardi, where are you? <laughs> What's happened to our game, right? <laughs> uh, now, parents believe raising kids today is more complicated than it was when they were kids. How many of you parents who are raising kids right now think it's more complicated right now than when you were kids? Yeah, yeah, yep. Why do th- most parents think today is more difficult than previously? Technology is the number one reason parents believe raising kids today is more complicated than it was in the past. This whole arena of technology. Now, we all enjoy the way devices can help us ease the stress, help with the load, the busyness of our daily lives. We love the way that our screens can absorb our children's attention or our grandkids' attention and give us a few moments just to catch our breath when we're driving in the car or before we eat or before they go to bed. Let's let technology do that thing. Nothing inherently wrong with that. Please understand what I'm saying, because I do it. We enjoy being entertained and freed from our boredom. I wish I had more time. I just wish I had more time to explain all this. Did you know boredom wasn't even a word until a little over 100 years ago? Our world never knew what boredom was. We're bored all the time. It's just kind of a crazy, crazy thing. We're freed by our boredom with a push of a button, and we can be more productive, work even harder and longer, and later on your devices. You can take home, work home with you. Isn't that a great idea? <laughs> you can take work so you can work 24-7 if you want to. This is fantastic. Look at uh, yeah, okay. So what do you do with all this? First of all, let's get real. Let's get real just for a moment. Technology is here to stay. Technology will continue to be more invasive in our lives. That's the fact. It's not going anywhere. And I can't stand any and awful preaching. Like, oh my goodness, we're all going to end up with this computer chip somewhere in our body and the Antichrist is going to kill us all. I'm like, oh, give me a break, would you? Okay? All right. Huh. Technology isn't evil. Who invented technology, by the way? Thank you. Okay, good. And understand, our devices are neither inherently right or wrong, good or evil. And the next time we get sick, I guarantee you right now, right now, in Children's Hospital in Milwaukee, Greg and Beige want the highest level of technology on their team to treat their son. Guarantee you. Dr. John, do you agree? Technology has changed medicine, hasn't it? Dramatically. Has it improved it? In some regards, yeah. 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 Yet the results of living in our high-tech and very low-touch world are impacting us intellectually, 
emotionally, even biologically, just read some medical reports on what extended use of screen time and technology actually does to the brain. It starts to rewire our brain. These are fascinating, fascinating studies. And you know exactly what that means. If you can ever drop off the grid for a little while with technology and be outdoors, there is a cleansing and a purifying that happens when we leave all that stuff off or away from us. Life has a whole different perspective. I guarantee you it does. So think about that. It's actually biologically changing us. The emotional makeup, not only of people, but of an entire family. Oh, I wish I had more time. The central disciplines, though, of why we're here is what concerns me. What's it doing to us spiritually? That's what concerns me. The rest is way beyond my control. All of it's beyond my control. But understand, for generations of Jesus followers, for at least 20 centuries, have been centered around solitude, silence, and fasting. The disciplines of the Christian life practiced by our Lord Jesus as well. Wow. Solitude, silence, and fasting. I have to put my life up against the disciplines of generations of Christians that have gone before me, generations of Jesus followers, all kinds of people around the world right now who are living those principles out. Silence, solitude, fasting. Yet in the intimacy of our homes, technology can distract us from that work of becoming people who practice the presence of God on a regular basis because we're always so distracted by the technology that's come in. So here's a simple test of whether your home is a tech-wise space, according to this author. Find the place in your home that is the family's emotional center. For some of you, it would be the living room. For some of you, it will be the kitchen. For some of you, I don't know, maybe it's the garage. I don't know. But where is the emotional center of your family life? Then sit down and take an inventory of what you see there. How much technology is in that room? The emotional center of your home. How much technology is in the room? Second, more important question, how often is that technology on? Okay? Just a little test. So how about the bedroom? Nothing at home has been so thoroughly disrupted by technology invading our life as our sleep. The disruption began with the first wave of technology, and that, of course, was the light bulb. The light bulb changed the way Americans live because now we can work well after the sun goes down, well into the nighttime hours, and what used to be a time for sleep is now a time for other kinds of things. And that's why it's so alarming that more than 8 in 10 parents say their teenagers have their phones with them when they sleep. But among the parents themselves, 7 in 10 sleep with their phones in their bed or next to them. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that's good or bad. This is all, again, an area of conviction. I'm just laying out some of the facts that are before us and how quickly our life has changed. Right? So like every generation before us, we are wired for relationship, Correct? It's not good for man to live. God wants a relationship with us. He wants us to have a relationship then with others. But here is how it can look in our day. A 15-year-old overcome by anxiety late at night has no choice 
before this wave of technology, but to pad down to her parents' bedroom at the end of the hall and there have a conversation. Mom, Dad, I'm scared. I'm freaked. I don't get life. All those kinds of things. There she often received help and counsel. I know that's the way that my daughters were. But now she can send out a flurry of text messages, of course, because she's sleeping with her phone, as are her friends, who feel obligated to respond, and they're delighted because someone needs them. I am needed. And so here they go with text messages late into the night. It keeps up her whole circle of friends. And, but what it does is it robs that 15-year-old and her parents or even an older sibling in her family of a face-to-face conversation because that's the way that God had intended it for us to happen, not via text, not via email. He intended it for us to be face-to-face. And in those face-to-face conversations, they might be painful, they might be challenging for sure, they might be reassuring, comforting, they might even be transforming conversations that happen. But it's face-to-face. Let me ask you, how many text conversations have transformed your life? I'm not saying any of that's wrong. Please, don't hear what I'm not saying, but I'm just trying to give perspective to this whole thing. So some thoughts, okay? Otherwise, I'll just ramble. So we've got to land the plane sometime. Set healthy boundaries for yourself. This is, this is me talking to myself as I prepared this, all right? Set healthy boundaries for yourself. Now, I try... Here, here's one that's really simple, right? That has worked for me. I try to make it a practice to find a seat where I can't see a screen. When I go to a restaurant, to a doctor's office, or I'm sitting in an airport, I make it my intentional choice to sit in a seat where there's not a screen in front of me. Very, very simple, but think about that for a moment. I know I'm not capable of resisting the urge to watch those things just grab you, and pretty soon you're watching what's on there, which is often mindless, and it's, yeah. So I try to remove the temptation whenever I can, especially when there's a person with me that deserves my full attention, not that dumb screen. And I can almost settle, always settle, for simply sitting where there's no screens in sight. I guarantee you next time I go to the dentist's office, I will sit, I will sit with my back to the screen, I will not pick up a magazine, I will not look at my phone. I will sit there until someone looks at me and is like, yeah, get my phone, get my phone. This is really uncomfortable. He's looking at me, right? But I try to intentionally sit where there's no screen. That's what I need in my life. It's a simple, easy decision. There's a silver lining, by the way, in the way that technology has invaded our lives from all the nonstop work and leisure that these things offer. It's an amazingly simple way to bring everything to a screeching halt. You can turn these things off. Did you know there's an off button on these? I know, it's, it's remarkable. And suddenly with a flick of a few switches, we're, we've left behind the world of technology that sometimes we become a slave to. And it's okay. It's okay. I am still absolutely amazed and baffled by folk who say, ah, I left my phone at home. I don't know what to do. i got to go back home and get it right now. I can't survive without my phone. 
No, this is real. I call it untethered. I love it when I leave my phone at home. I wish I could do it more intentionally, right? Hmm. Hmm. Sleep specialists widely recommend that once night comes, the bedroom should be reserved for two things. What are they? Sleep. And if you're married, (laughs) sex. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in romance. Right? The bedroom should be reserved for that. So we need a simple discipline. Our devices should go to bed before we do. Put your device to bed before we do. When our kids were younger, I got five kids, I get all this, right? Uh, we had, had for maybe a year or so a TV in our bedroom. Not good. Not good. And I know some people that can't sleep without TV on in their bedroom including my own children, right? So again, these are matters of conviction, but that's just something that doesn't work for us. And I would go a step further and say that it's best if your technology's bedroom is a long way away from yours. So you know what? If you need me in the middle of the night, you pray because my phone is downstairs and we sleep upstairs. And our bedroom is reserved for sleep and sex because we're married, right? <laughs> Not for this. Now, if you go in my bedroom, what are you going to find? A Kindle reader. Oh, yeah. you got technology there because I always read before I go to bed, right? Well, it's more practical because then I can make the font bigger so I can see it, right? <laughs> yeah, so that works real well. But you get the idea. Now, my phone does vibrate, and I can almost <coughs> hear it downstairs when it's ringing. But the ringer's not on. So if you need me in the middle of the night, just pray that I'll hear the buzz. Okay? Because otherwise, nighty night, iPhone. Go to your bedroom. Right? Okay. Set healthy boundaries for you and your family. We'll finish up here. Children do what children see. Find principles from God's Word. Form convictions for you and your family. Don't ride coattails on my convictions. You've got to form your own convictions. And then what you have to do is call a family meeting and sit down and talk about this as a family. It's extremely important that you talk about this as a family. We'll get to that in just a second. But you've got to call a family meeting and say, this is how we're going to handle technology in our lives. Otherwise, the thing's just going to spread and spread and spread. Okay? What are your convictions as a family? As a family, shut it down. Shut it down. One hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. That's a challenge that I found interesting. One hour a day, no technology. Right? We're not bringing it to the table or what we're doing. One hour. One day a week, no technology. One week a year. Now, my kids were growing up. Uh, and again, I have five kids. Uh, we turned off the TV for the summer. And oftentimes that went to six or seven months out of the year. And my kids were like, eh, everybody's watching TV. Yeah, no, no. We're weird because we don't know what's going to Yeah, that's good, isn't it? But you know, as the years went by, they never complained about that anymore. Because my kids were outside playing. 
My kids were being created. I'm not saying we were super parents by any means. Please don't understand what I'm not saying because we weren't. Uh, but, but the point is I want to make sure my children develop an imagination. And that I can say my kids all have an imagination. Right? Okay? So now I'm looking at my grandkids at 18 months old, and they take my Apple Watch and buzz around it like it's like, this is cake. <laughs> I've got a master at 18 months old. I can't talk, but I can work your watch, Grandpa. Amazing. Amazing. So I suggest just turn it off. It's not the end of the world. But you have to understand, if we're talking to our kids about this, they want to know the why. They want to know the why. Uh, one family adopted the simple if radical standard, no screens before double digits. In other words, until their kids were 10 years old, screens weren't a part of their regular lives, a regular part of their lives. Now, that sounds weird to me. That sounds almost pharisaical. That's like a couple comes into me, right? And they come in for uh, premarital counseling, and they say, ah, uh, we're not going to kiss till we get married. I say, well, you are weird. <laughs> You're weird. You're not going to even kiss before you get married? That is weird. Some may say, that's weird. Ten years old? What? And you know kids are all different. They're all different maturity levels, all those kinds of things. So that's not the point. The point isn't until they know and understand and there's boundaries set and everything is the proper place and you're living by a family code of family values, of family convictions, of this is the way we handle technology. Okay? So lastly, is that the last one? No, almost. Get in the game. Get in the game. Get in the game. It's astonishing how many parents casually give young children smartphones that have unlimited and unsupervised access to any websites that their friends suggest. It just baffles me. Baffles me. On the other hand, I know parents understand. Hear me carefully. I know parents who can and will look over their kid's shoulder any moment they can and will and do pick up their phone without needing to be asked if they can look at their phone and browse through their messages or apps or history. I don't care if it's Instagram. I don't care what it is. Yeah, you can get around all that stuff. I get that. But their parents are in the game. Their parents are in the game. Yet for many parents and to nearly every American teenager, this will seem like an unconstitutional invasion of my privacy. And I think I'll take you to court. You can't look at my phone. Oh, really? Really? This is an invasion of your privacy. No, we rather choose to live by a set of family values that we have adopted, that we have agreed upon, convictions that come from the Word of God, extracting principles that are right for us and our family. That's what's truly important. Now, uh, there's stuff, and we've listed those for you, like Circle with Disney, something I recommend. Uh, Galpo's just got it. Uh, heard about this last year. It's simply a parental control and filter for your home. It allows you to know exactly where everybody is and what they're doing. Can you bypass it? Ah, you can bypass anything, right, Galpo boys? You can do that. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Because that leads into this point. Most every parent's number one concern about technology is the risk of exposing their kids to pornography or accelerated sexuality at too early of an age. Every parent's nightmare. But hear me carefully. The truth is, if we build our family's technological life around trying to keep porn out, we will fail. 
you will fail as a parent if the only thing you're trying to do is keep porn out of your house. Won't work. Won't work. Kids are too smart. Technology is changing too rapidly. Wouldn't it be better to have a set of family values that we'd have agreed upon, right? That being the motivating factor, kids are sick of being told, can't do this, can't do that, no explanation why. How about a conversation with our children? This is why we do this. This is why we've chosen our family life to look like this. Because we want to honor God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Correct. So that means our house may look a little different than other houses. But if the only thing we're trying to do is keep pouring out, we're going to fail. It's more than just telling your kids what they can't do. Tell somebody what you can't do. What are you going to do? You're going to live in Romans 7. The things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do, yeah, we're going to do it. Because that's what the sin nature does, right? Just tell me I can't do that. Eh. Rather, the tech-wise family will make a simple commitment to one another. There will be no technological secrets in our home. There will be no place to hide, no place to hide them. We are going to be open about this. And guess what? Will there be failure? Absolutely. Absolutely. I disappoint myself sometimes with technology. Too much wasted time. Too much of this and that, right? It's a waste, right? But the point is, the bigger point in all of this that I'm trying to make is that if the family will do this together, There will be no technological secrets, no place to hide. We have made a choice. We are going to honor God first. And then we're going to have our home to be a safe place, an open place, a transparent place, a forgiving place when we blow it with technology. And you don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. We're going to be honest with each other. And we're going to try to honor God in all this. But this is our home. And grace and guidelines and love and hope win the day. Just like it does with Jesus. Friends, this is a massive, massive subject. I don't know if it interests you or not, but I just thought it was fascinating to throw this in in this series just so we could start some conversations in families. It's important that we have these conversations together, right? And so we've listed for you the end of your sermon notes uh, in the technology toolbox. Thanks, Aaron, for putting that together. Uh, Just some resources. Check those out. Check those out. If you still have questions... Give the church office a call. We'll try to get you the help that you need uh, because if this is the number one thing parents are saying that they're wrestling with and raising their kids today, we want to help. We want to give you resources. We want to give you tools. We want to pray with you. This isn't easy. It's not easy. It's kind of messy. But I'm saying let's put God first in all this and see what he can do because I don't want my home rotten from the inside out. You know what I mean? It's not going to stay in its place. Let's get a handle on it. Let's do it for the glory of God. Let's see what he can do with it. And let's change the way we're living right now.